0: Man, how you doing this morning it's good everyone's a little fired up with a week of prayer we'll do that to you isn't that amazing someone was talking about me this morning like you preached about building altars a few uh, weeks ago and I felt like that space that was a place of altar the place of worship and connection with God so that was amazing to all you joining us online we pray that you are having a good time worshiping with us that you are warm wherever you are It's cool. I'm a beach bum. I've told you that before. Some of you are hardy stock. This is good for you. Pastor Ralph's got his sleeves rolled up. there. here. He's just like, this is nothing for me. I got this this jacket for Christmas, and I wore it a couple weeks ago, and I thought I was going to die up here. I was so hot wearing it. But then this morning, I'm like, that's the one I'm wearing. I'm going to wear the hot jacket this morning. Well, we're fully into January now. We're halfway through the month. It just seems to come up on us so quickly. The decorations are all put away. Are they? I talked to someone yesterday. No, I got still got both my trees up. You know, um, to the end of January, the Christmas baking is all eaten up. Or not? I don't know. I have a little dilemma. We still have a little bit left over, and I just was—I was raised that you just don't throw food out. And so I have this dilemma where it's like the start of January, and I'm trying to eat healthier, and so I just need to know: like, am I supposed to spread it out, like eat it over time, or should I just binge and eat it, gobble it all up right now? What What do I do with all of this Christmas baking? I don't know. All the oh, quite any, <laughs> All the Christmas, all the gift exchanges and returns have been done. Did anyone have any gift exchanges or returns that had to be done? A few things made the wrong size or the wrong color, or something like that? Well, speaking about exchanges a few years ago, it wasn't a Christmas exchange, but Holly wanted a living room floor lamp. She wanted a living room floor lamp, but not just any kind of lamp. She wanted the kind of lamp that you could put beside the couch and it would have an arm that would kind of extend over the couch. Kind of one of those, you know, the, have you ever seen one of those ones, those cantilever lamps and it kind of hangs out. She wanted one of these lamps and, and uh, we were at our old house about an hour from the U.S. border, but we lived across from Buffalo. And so there was a Target in Buffalo and anyone who likes Target knows that, you know, it's good to be near a Target. And so Holly, well, we went to Target one day, she found a lamp that she thought could work. Now have you, anyone here, you like buy something, you're not quite sure about it, but you want to take it home and see what it looks like in this space. And you know, whether it's clothing, you want to try it on at home or whatever like that. You know, so she bought this lamp. She said, I'm not quite sure, but I think it could work. And so we brought it home from Buffalo to our house. Did I mention Buffalo is an hour away from our house? Yeah. So we got, we took it home, and we got the lamp, and I did, you know, my, my husbandly duties, and I got it out of the box and I assembled it. I put the the base together and I put the the arm that would reach out over the couch and I put the shade on it and I put it beside the couch and I went, ta-da. And as she walked in the room, her response was a little bit different than I anticipated. Instead of, ooh, it was kind of like, oh. (laughs) Right? How many know, oh, that's not gonna work. That's not gonna work. That's not quite right. And so I did what any lovingly but slightly annoyed husband would do. I said about unassembling the lamp that I had just assembled, and I tried to get it back in the box. Have you ever notice that things don't go back in the box the way they came out of the box? And so I'm trying to get it back in the box, and then it has all that the white foam packaging. I hate that stuff, you know. It gets little like pellets that kind of statically stick to everything. I'm trying to get this lamp back in this box, and I, and I'm, by this time I'm frustrated. There's there's foam everywhere, and I can't get it in the box. And I'm thinking about the hour drive each way back to Buffalo to return this stupid floor lamp. And, uh, you know, and as I said, this floor lamp is is meant to hang out over the couch, right? So it has to have a heavy base to support it. Well, as I put this base in the box and I try to get the arms and the, the shade back in and it wasn't quite fitting right, I picked up the box and the base of the lamp fell through the bottom of the box and landed on its edge right on my toe. So now I'm frustrated, I'm annoyed, and now I'm in pain, because I have a broken toe. Now, just a warning, some of you. I was gonna give you a warning first. I was, gonna, I was about to say, some of you might wanna look away. Uh, some of you don't like this, some of you can't, Like I wanna look away, but I can't, right? Any of the injury people, you're just like, I can't, can't stop looking. Pastor Jerry, why are you doing this to me? It's okay, we'll have prayer at the end of the service, and we'll pray for you, that God will remove this image from your mind. Now, what does this have to do with anything? Well, sometimes it's not a crushing weight that lands on our toe, but sometimes it's a weight in our soul. Have you ever had a bruising weight, a heavy weight in your soul? Last week, we started our New Year series, and we called it Soul Detox, and Pastor Riley preached an amazing message on the restless soul. did he do a good job last weekend, Pastor Riley? So appreciative of him. And one of the comments that he made that's central to this series is this, is that we are not a body with a soul. We are a soul with a body. That differentiation is fundamental to understanding ourselves. We are not our bodies. We are not our bodies. Scripture describes our body as a temporary dwelling for who we are. In other words, when our bodies die, we don't die. Our souls will live eternally. I love 2 Corinthians 5. It says, when this old tent is taken down. I love how Paul describes our bodies like a tent. How many think you have an old tent, right? This is like it's starting to drape and sag and leak and all kinds of stuff. right? He says, when this tent is taken down, he says, don't worry. We are going to return to eternity and we are have a new body. How many are excited about a new body that God has for you in eternity? And so we have this understanding that we are not our bodies, we are a soul. But we talk a lot about caring for our physical body, don't we? How much of our thoughts and our energy and our time is spent thinking about and caring for this physical body? We talk about our exercise and our nutrition. We talk about hydration. We talk about sleep patterns. We need eight hours of sleep or so. We talk about the need for sunscreen and skincare routine. We talk a lot about caring about this body. Probably about this time of year, you've seen some ads or maybe some commercials. Maybe you have heard about some friends who are doing a January detox. They're talking about cleansing their body from the toxins, trying to get all that Christmas baking out. I'm trying to get it in and they're trying to get it out, you know. And, uh, and we're talking about the significance of eliminating toxins from the body. Caring for the body is important. This physical body is God's gift to you. It's the vehicle through which we serve him and we serve our family. So we need to take care of our bodies. We really should be spending time thinking about our physical health. But how much consideration and intentional effort do we do to care for our souls? Now, soul can be hard to define. It's hard to understand something that's invisible, right? It's something hard to understand, something that's intangible. How do you care for something that's untestable, untreatable? And for the purpose of this series, the way we will understand soul in its easiest form is the inner you. The inner you, your mind, your will, and emotions. You know, on some level, We are all always aware of our souls, aren't we? We might not think of it in those terms, but we're always constantly monitoring what we are experiencing. We're constantly monitoring whether or not we are at peace or we're feeling anxious. We're monitoring whether or not we're experiencing joy or uh, frustration whether we're experiencing fulfillment or emptiness. This is us monitoring Our souls and psychology attempts to understand and define the inner, the inner us, the inside us, and it's a complex task. How many know some of us are pretty complicated, right? How many know are, are aware that you are a complicated individual at times? complex. And so I'm thankful for psychologists and psychiatrists and counselors and coaches who help, try, help us try to understand ourselves better. But I'm also thankful for how much the Bible brings enlightenment and understanding to having a healthy soul. The Bible talks about our souls a lot. And so I wanted to make you aware of it. Did you know in the Old Testament, over 750 times the word nefesh is used? That's the Hebrew word for soul, nefesh. Over 100, 750 times, we see it talked about in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, we see this word shuka. Shuka is Greek, and it appears 100 times in the New Testament, talking about our soul. Now, your different translations. Some of them talk about soul. Some of them translate it your mind or your heart. But it's really talking about this inner you. And so last week, Pastor Riley preached on the restless soul. And this morning, I want to talk to you about the heavy soul. The heavy soul. Recent studies have shown that our generation has one of the highest percentages of people who report dealing with a consistent low-grade depression. We go, consistent low-grade depression. Now this isn't a, um, a clinical depression. This is more a constant heaviness of the soul. It's something that you can't quite put your finger on. It's like nothing's really wrong, but it's not quite right either. Have you ever experienced that? It's this idea that our generation has had the most material wealth. We have the most opportunities to travel the world. We have access to the most information that we've ever had. We have so many good things to enjoy and live life for, but there's this underarching sense of dissatisfaction. It's like we're longing for something more. There's a lack of trust, a lack of faith, a lack of hope. Many people would say they have a heaviness in their soul. Now, it might bring us some comfort today to know that this isn't new to our generation. We actually see it talked about quite a bit in Scripture. If you'll turn with me to our text in Psalm 42 this morning, as the psalmist writes about having a heavy soul. Psalm 42, verse 1. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night. Well, people say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the Mighty One with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise Him, my Savior and my God. I love this psalm. Why so downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Now as we read chapter 42 and then in Psalm 43 and many uh, scholars believe that it's not actually two Psalms, that they actually belong together in one. Three times the author repeats this refrain. Three times he says, why so downcast my soul? Why so disturbed within me? So why are you heavy? Why are you uneasy? Why are you worried? Why are you disturbed and upset? How many know we need to take evaluation of how we're feeling and why we're feeling that way? As we read Psalm 42 and 43, we see the author on an emotional roller coaster. Have you ever been on the emotional roller coaster where one minute you're up and the next minute you're down, and maybe not always for an apparent reason? right? He's talking about this idea, why am I feeling so low? And then he says, but God's been so good to me, and yet I feel so low. And he's just up and down in his writing. Why do so many people from the Bible days until today, why would they say they have a heaviness of soul? Well, scripture talks about three main reasons that contribute to the heaviness of soul. The first one is this, it's heavy with hurts from the past heavy with hurts from the past. How many know you have to deal with the past? I know it's not that you have to go and relive it and you have to live in that space, but part of healing is to deal with the brokenness, right? I don't know if you've ever had a broken bone, but if you had a broken bone that's not set quite right, Right? You know, anyone have a finger that has a little, I have a finger that's a little bit, you know, crooked to the side, right? It wasn't set the way necessarily that it should have been. But if you want to have it healed, you need to sometimes get it rebroken, right? Sometimes God wants to deal with the things of our past. But let's look at, uh, the prophet Jeremiah. And Jeremiah, in Lamentations 3, Jeremiah says this. He says, I remember my affliction and my wandering. The bitterness and the gall. Now, this I love this. The gall. This is a new New King James word. The gall. I remember them, and he's looking back on these painful moments. What does he say? He says, "And my soul is downcast within me." He says, "As I reflect on some of the hurts and some of the letdowns in my life, my soul is downcast within me." Now, no doubt in a crowd this size, there are some of us that have had hurtful past experiences. There are probably many of us that say we have a heaviness of our soul that originates from things that have happened to us in the past. Maybe some of us have had a friend that lied to you or or let you down and it hurt your soul. Some of us have experienced uh, the heartache and brokenness of a spouse betraying us. Maybe some of us have had an opportunity that we missed out on and we constantly look back with some regret or maybe we've done things with our lives that we look back on with regret and many of us would say our, whole, our souls are heavy with hurt from the past. Well, another area of source of hurt the Bible talks about is heaviness with troubles in the present. Maybe it's not the past that's weighing on us but it's what we're going through and experiencing right now. Maybe some of us could relate more with Job. In Job uh, 4 verse 5, he says, But now trouble comes to you and you are discouraged. It strikes you and you are dismayed. How many of you would say right now you're experiencing something that you didn't see coming in your life? How many would say that there's like something in your life that wasn't on your five-year plan, it wasn't on your bucket list, something that you say, I don't like this, I didn't plan for this, I don't wanna go through this. Maybe you thought at some point in your life that you would be at a different place than you're at right now, and you would say, you know, I I, I thought it would be different, I thought I would be in a different relationship, I thought I'd be feeling differently about life. And my purpose in it, there's a heaviness when things aren't going the way we wish they were. Some of our heaviness comes from things in the past. Some of the heaviness comes from things we're experiencing right now. And then the Bible talks about a heaviness that comes with anxiety about the future. You know, this is one of the things that, you know, I can relate to a lot. I can relate this, always trying to assess the outcome and predict the possibilities. How many are like me and you get a little uncomfortable with uncertainty, right? How many would say you get uncomfortable with uncertainty and you try to gauge what the future holds? I'm not a risk taker, I always say I'm a calculated risk taker. Right, I like to have an idea of what could happen or is likely to happen before I step out, as something in my life. And as someone anxious of the future, maybe you ask one of these two questions. You're always asking, how are we going to? How are we going to make it through what we're facing? How are we going to pay the bills when our costs are increasing? How, this one for the parents, how are we gonna get everything done that needs to be done? Right? If you have little kids, that's one of the themes of your life. How are you going to get this? How are we going? How, how, how? And maybe for you, it's the other question of the future. And the question is not how, but what if? What if? What if I get laid off? What if the co- economy doesn't improve what if one of us gets sick what if how are we going to and and what if how many know that's a rabbit trail that you can go down for hours and it causes a heaviness and an anxiety anxiousness about the future you know if there's one person of scripture that we can draw comfort from who experience anxiousness and a similar feeling about the future you might be surprised at uh, which character i picked for this I- illustration It's actually Jesus. Do you know that Jesus had some trepidation about his future? He understands what it is when the Bible says that we have a high priest who's acquainted with all the temptations and feelings that we go through. Jesus knows what you're going through. He's experienced it. You know, though he was God, he wasn't immune to the feelings and the emotions of his humanity. As Jesus was looking to his future, it left him feeling unsettled. Scripture tells us that in the garden after the Last Supper, that as Jesus looked ahead, to the cross as he was looking to the pain that he would endure, not only in his flesh, but in his spirit. The Bible says that Jesus took upon himself our sin. The Bible says he actually became our sin for us and that the ba- the father turned his back on the sin that was on Christ. And so thinking about the future, not only the physical pain, but having the father turn his back on him. It causes anxiousness and anxiety and anguish. Mark 14, 33 says this, that he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. Jesus said, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Jesus understands what it's like to have a heaviness of soul. Now whether it's a heaviness from looking back, a heaviness from Looking at the present, having us out looking at the future, God understands and scripture addresses this condition of our soul. See, it's not always that there's anything necessarily wrong. Sometimes there's just a general sense of unease, a sense that there must be something more. A sense that there's got to be more than life than this. So many times this year I've met people who are new to the church. And if you're one of them, we are so glad you're here. But they said my motivating factor for coming to church for the first time was a sense that there must be something more. There must be something to ease my heavy soul. And luckily we look to scripture and we see that there is uh, not just an acknowledgement of this heaviness, but we see so many places where it says what we can do about it. Looking back at our key text in Psalm 42 when David says, why my soul are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? He also shows us the antidote. David begins to preach to his soul. How many know that I'm a good preacher? (laughs) I'm kidding. How many know that you're a good preacher? You're a good preacher. The Bible says that you are supposed to be a good preacher. And even if you don't have an audience who comes to hear you every week, and I'm amazed that people do, to be honest with you, right? (laughs) But there's a captive audience, and the captive audience is you you are the preacher to your soul. What does David do? He begins to preach to his soul. He begins to talk his soul up. He begins to be his own hype man. Anyone have a friend who's like a good hype man, right? They're like, you can do this. And they get you all pumped up. And even things that you shouldn't be doing, they're like hyping you up to do it, right? You're like, yeah, let's do it, right? you're your own hype man. He says this, soul, put your hope in God. He says, quit whining, quit whimpering. He says, it doesn't matter about the past, the present, or the future. He says, yet my soul will praise him, my savior and my God. You gotta be your own hype man, your own preacher. He says, soul, why are you so downcast? Yeah, there's a lot going on, but he says, I'm gonna praise God, my Savior, and my God. I wanna talk to you about three things to tell your soul this morning. Three things to preach to yourself. Every good sermon has three points. And so you're gonna be a great preacher to yourself after this. You're gonna be in the mirror all week preaching. Best sermons you've ever preached this week, right? He says this, remember God's faithfulness in the past. We just sang about that. When you're tempted to look back and dwell on the hurts of the past, when you're, you got to train your mind to stop and shift gears. You got to recall the faithfulness of God in the past. Jeremiah, we read about in a moment, he was lamenting his life in Lamentations 3. We just looked about that. But let's look again to see how he shifted gears. How many you know you gotta snap out of it sometimes? You ever had a friend or your spouse or someone tell you to snap out of it, right? Uh, so many times, oh, Pastor Holly, she's the best, right? She's looking at me, she's like, Jared, you need to snap out of it, Just stop it. Stop it right, shift gears. We see in scripture, we gotta shift gears. How does Jeremiah shift gears and get his mind out of replaying the hurts of his past? He says this, I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. He says, well, I remember them. My soul is downcast within me. And then he says this, yet I still dare to hope when I remember this. Doesn't matter how bad it was, I still dare to hope. Will you say that with me? Will you say, I still dare to hope. Say it one more time. I still dare to hope. If you need to jump up and shout amen and, and get some blood to your feet because they're cold, <laughs> I get it, I get it. He says this, I still dare to hope when I remember this. The faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness. His mercy begins afresh each morning. Would you say hallelujah to that this morning? I say to myself, the Lord is my inheritance, therefore I will hope in him. He says, I call back the memories of God's faithfulness. Every time I think about the disappointments, the disillusionments, and the hurts of the past, I also go back and I remember the faithfulness of God. I remember that he was there with me. Even in the moments when I couldn't see him, I know that he was there with me. Even in the moments when I couldn't even get myself out of bed, he was there with me. Even in the moments when I was disappointed and discouraged and things weren't going the way I hoped or thought they should, he was there with me. you got to shift gears and preach to yourself one of the best sermons of all time. He's been there with me and I will hope in him. We can all look back and see reasons that we should live with a heaviness of soul, can't we? We can all choose to look back and see the faithfulness of God, the faithfulness of God. The first remedy to the heavy soul is to remember his faithfulness. But what if it's not the past, but what if it's I'm hurting right now? What do I do when I'm hurting right now? Scripture talks about this. We're encouraged to cry out to God. To cry out to God in the present. Cry out to God. Spill your guts to him. Let him have it. Let him have it. The good, the bad, the ugly. Don't hold anything back. David, in Psalm 142, he says this. He says, I cry out to the Lord. I plead for the Lord's mercy. I pour out my complaints before him and tell him all my troubles. So many times people uh, say to me, Pastor, I feel bad because, you know, I'm pouring out my heart to the Lord. And I say, it's okay, God can handle it. He can handle it. Pour it out to him. And then this David says, I pray to you, O Lord. And I say, you are my place of refuge. You're all I really want in life. Hear my cry, for I'm very low. Can I tell you, it's equally as spiritual to praise God and to lift up his name as it is to pour out your complaints before him. It's okay to say, God, I'm angry with you. Do you know that God actually invites us to interact with him in that way? It's not weakness or lack of faith to tell God that I'm confused or angry. It's not a lack of faith to say, God, why is this happening to me? I don't understand. It's not a lack of faith to say, God, where are you? I can't see you. But our faith comes and says, but God, I need you. God already knows your heart anyways. He invites us interactions. 1 Peter 5 says, cast all your cares upon God, for he cares for you. You don't have to live with the heaviness of your soul. If you look back on God's faithfulness, in the present as you cry out to him, Maybe it's the anxiety of the future. I want to encourage you to trust in God's power for your future. I love, Rose was already preaching my sermon today. She said, God is the alpha, the omega, the beginning and the end. He is the first and the last. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So you can trust him with your future. As the worship team comes, I want to share just a quick story from 2 Chronicles 32. In 2 Chronicles 32, King Hezekiah uh, was the king in Jerusalem, and he was facing an imminent attack by King Sennacherib of Assyria. If you remember our Christmas series, we talked about Assyria being the rising superpower of the Middle East at this time, and so Jerusalem was facing this, this soon coming, this imminent attack, and this is what Hezekiah says to the people of Jerusalem. He says, be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid or discouraged because the king of Assyria or his mighty army. Why? Why should you not be afraid or discouraged? He said, for there is a power far greater on our side. He may have a great army, but they are merely men. We have the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles for us. And so Hezekiah's words greatly encourage the people. I love how the NIV translates this verse. He says, with him is only the arm of flesh, But with us is the Lord our God. As he's looking at this attacking army and this impending battle, Hezekiah says to the people, they've only got what they've got. We've got what they've got. They've got what they've got. But we have what God's got. They've got what they've got, but we've got what God's got. They might have more than us, but God's got more than anything on this earth. And so he encouraged his soul with this. I want to encourage you this morning as we close. Believer in Jesus Christ, that what God has given you. And Romans 8 it says, The Spirit of God, who raised Jesus Christ from the dead, lives in you. Whatever they've got doesn't really matter because you've got what God's got. Whatever the future brings, it doesn't matter because God holds the future in his hands. Whatever the future holds, it doesn't matter because God loves you and cares for you. He has an eternity. He's prepared for you. And in the meantime, he says, walk with me and walk in my blessing. We talked last week about the restless soul. Now, how we had to find time to be still and quiet before God. This morning I want to talk to you about the heavy soul. With the heavy soul we need to find time to preach to ourselves about the faithfulness of God in the past. About crying out to Him with the heaviness of this moment and remembering that God has our lives in His hands for the future. You can trust Him. And we can say like Jeremiah, I still dare to hope when I remember this. The faithful love of the Lord never cease. His mercies never cease. Great is faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. I say to myself, the Lord is my inheritance. Therefore, I will hope.